The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles. There's ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them that uh, not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses, pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have done told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual morality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went to the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even bought, uh, brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came out to the tribune of the cohort that all Jer- Jerusalem was in confusion. He took... He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, He was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this passage, and thank you for who you are. Uh, You are God, and we want to learn the truth of the gospel. I pray that we would hear your voice through Randall's message today. So teach us the gospel. Teach us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Good morning, everybody. We are continuing in the book of Acts. And so um, if you're new this morning, my name is Randall. I'm the pastor of Grace City. Um, and just glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we have been journeying through the book of Acts for a long time. So we started in Acts chapter 1 uh, last year. And we're all the way towards uh, the end of the book in Acts 21. And uh, before we jump in, one of the things that we did a couple weeks ago is we talked about Vision Sunday. And so um, if you are just joining us, I encourage you to go back a couple weeks and listen to Vision Sunday because that helps us to kind of know like who our church is, the direction of where our church is going in 2022. And um, really the big encouragement and the takeaway was uh, stay the course, Uh, trusting the Lord 
trusting uh, to, to, to obey him, um, even though it gets difficult sometimes? And what does that look like in our lives? And so the question I've been asking myself this year is just, God, how can I uh, trust you, uh, not just for what happened in the past, but, but what's going to happen in the future, right? And one of the things that we're doing in our church to help really drive that home, it's not just me, is that uh, this is people right around you right now. This is people in our church. And so we're doing this thing called Family on Mission. And so uh, in the month of February, you're going to hear from different people that are in our church. And last week, you're able to hear from uh, Josiah, who's at uh, Radius right now. And he's training to be a missionary, a, a global missionary to go out. Uh, but that's not everybody's story, right? Everybody's story is, is different. And, and God is calling all of us differently to, to trust him. And so what does that look like in our lives? Uh, that's really what uh, I want us to, to think about as we finish up the book of Acts. Uh, because as we look at the book of Acts, it's, it's just normal people trusting God and, and sharing uh, the good news of who Jesus is in their everyday lives. Um, so we're in Acts uh, 21, verses 18 through 36. Thank you, Jindarm. That was a long passage. That was a lot of uh, scripture right there, but I think it's going to really help us to hone in on, on what we're going to talk about today. Because the message is, is this, gospel integrity. Gospel integrity. What does that mean? The gospel is the message of Jesus. It simply means good news. That God came to bring good news to us. But in the midst of this good news that, that not only Paul has taken a hold of, but actually has taken a hold of his life. Right? God is taking a hold of his life. And in the midst of God taking a hold of his life, what's happening inside of him? There's an integrity that's being built that God is shaping inside of him. Now, maybe many of us have heard this word integrity, but what does integrity uh, look like? Well, Psalm 25, 21 says, may integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. My hope is in you. The word for integrity in the Bible can be found uh, 16 times and it can be defined as complete or undivided or whole. If we look at our lives, we can say, okay, what does it look like to be a person who is the same in different spaces that I'm in? I'm the same person that is being presented on social media as if you were to meet me in real life. See, what's the surprising thing sometimes? When we meet somebody that we, we knew maybe from a distance that we get close to and they, they're actually relatable. They're like, oh, that person is the real deal. Integrity, not a segmented person, not a divided person, but an undivided whole person. And throughout the book of Acts, we've seen how God has shaped this integrity inside of Paul, that Paul was not two-faced. He wasn't one way with uh, a certain group and another way with another group, but no, Paul was one person. And he would obey God no matter what the public opinion was or the challenges that he had to face. Now, how did God do this in his life? How did Paul become a person that had this type of integrity? Through suffering. Through suffering. Back in Acts chapter 9, after he's been saved, God's radically taken a hold of his life. In Acts chapter 9, verses 15 through 16, um, here's what he, God says to Ananias. 
the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, talking about Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now at that point, Paul was inflicting suffering upon Christians. Right? We see that Paul was dragging Christians into to court and he was, he was uh, bringing much uh, persecution upon Christians. But now we find that Paul is enduring suffering for being a Christian. He's enduring it. Sam Storm says, often if there is no risk of loss or painful consequences, one will never know if one has integrity. One will never know if that motivates you or what motivates you is moral conviction or moral convenience until you are forced to suffer loss for standing your ground or keeping your word. See, what this has done in Paul's life is this suffering has shaped him into somebody who's a person of integrity. Now, we are in the last third of the book of Acts, and scholars have called this section the sufferings of Paul. So that's where we're ending in, in the book of Acts, is we are ending with the sufferings of Paul. And at this point, Paul has finished his third missionary journey, and as we finish Acts, it shows us how Paul stays the course through various trials that he faces. And so again, our text is from Acts 21, 18 through 36. Um, and just to give some background here, Paul is in a, trans, a life transition. He is a, in a transition in his life. Uh, not too long ago, I was sitting with a, a friend who has become a, a mentor of sorts to me. He's um, in his late 60s, and we were having coffee. And he looks at me, and I, and I just asked him, I said, um, like, how do you feel about this stage of your life? He says, you know, I've, he was a pastor for a long time, and so he'd handed off uh, responsibilities at his church. He's kind of taken on a new role where he's investing in younger leaders. And I said, how are you doing with this transition? And, and with tears in his eyes, he says, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to, to know if I'm still making a difference. And I was able to look him in the eye and say, you are. <laughs> Uh, just the simple fact that you're having coffee with me right now and the things that you're pouring into me mean a difference. It makes a difference for me. And so I need you to know that your, your value is felt. See, for certain points of our life, we make these life transitions and we wonder, is there much value in this? But for Paul, there, there is. There's, there's going to be much value as he's still continuing to suffer for the sake of, of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. Uh, commentator Tony Morita says, for, for the last decade of his life, Paul was intentionally engaged uh, in strategic centers with the gospel during his three missionary journeys. Exciting stuff, right? A lot going on, a lot happening. We saw that. Now the apostle becomes a prisoner, and the rest of his ministry recorded in Acts is basically a set of reactions to opposition and assaults. So it's just like one trial after another trial after another trial at the end of his the, the book of Acts here in his life. And so how do we see God shape Paul's integrity? Uh, well, we can see a lot from this text. And so we're going to break this down, and we're going to see three points here. Um, and so it's when he, number one, chooses to thank God. Number two, sacrifices to unite others. And number three, obeys despite personal attack. 
chooses to thank God, sacrifices to unite others, and obeys despite personal attack. Now, last week I was sick, and so uh, Jeff uh, stepped in last week and, and talked a, a little bit about the life of Mary and what that looked like. And so if, if you didn't listen to that message, uh, amazing message about just God's grace and how it just seems disruptive at times in our life. It just, it just finds us uh, and, and, and breaks into our lives. And so I believe that this whole thing that we're going to see here is actually uh, workings of God's grace continued in Paul's life. Even though he goes through difficulties and trials and it's going to feel like a disruption, we see that here in his life as well. So number one, we see that uh, in the midst of all that he's going to face, he chooses to thank God. Look at verses 18 through 20. It says, on the following day, Paul went in with us to James. Now James um, is the brother of Jesus. And so he would have been the half-brother of Jesus and, and it, all the elders were present. James was the, the leader of the Jerusalem church. It says, after greeting them, he related one by one uh, the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what, what has Paul faced up to this point in his journey? Right, because it says that he related one by one things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So there's a lot of things that Paul is sharing with the people here. Um, Paul gives us a little update of, of what happened to him because on, on Paul's third missionary journey, he wrote the book of 2 Corinthians. And so some of us have read through the book of, of 2 Corinthians before. Um, he was in Macedonia in, in 57 AD. And here's what he said about his uh, journey his three missionary journeys. Here's what he says. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews uh, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Uh, a night and a day uh, I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, I, 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 in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and in toil, and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, uh, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Um, that's a lot, right? <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a lot. When we talk about the missionary journeys that Paul went on, like I would say, like we, we would talk about, he went from one city to another. So many times what would happen is he would be traveling at night. Now, in that traveling, he says that he was robbed. He was in danger from robbers. Uh, he was beaten. He was beaten up. He danger in, from rivers. Danger is basically the word that he talks about here a lot, right? Like he says a lot about danger. And this list only captures the first 21 Years of Paul's 32-year ministry doesn't include the last 11 years of his life and work. Now, here's what it doesn't include. Uh, Paul's arrest and treatment in Jerusalem uh, that we read about. Paul's uh, two-year imprisonment. Paul's uh, dangerous journey to Rome. Uh, he has another shipwreck. He gets bitten by a snake. Uh, Paul's first uh, Roman imprisonment. Paul's house arrest. Uh, Paul's Roman imprisonment, which ended up uh, in execution. See, Paul's list of sufferings in 2 Corinthians 11 only include 
the first two-thirds of his 32-year ministry, and we get to read about the, the final one-third, which are labeled the sufferings of Paul. Now, what that should tell us is he's been through a lot. I don't know about you, but when people ask me, like, how's your day going? How's your week going? If I have, like, a, a rough day, what does my mind first go to? Uh, you know what? This person, I was driving, and they cut me off. And then I went into Starbucks, and the barista was a little bit rude today. You know, like, all of these types of things that, that I feel like are difficulties pop into my mind. But what does it say about Paul? What, 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 did, what did he focus on? Verses 19 and 20, after greeting them, he related one by one things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. What did Paul choose to focus on when he started to talk with the leaders in Jerusalem, with James? He started to talk about all the good things that God was doing. He started to, to actually thank God for the different ways in which he's working. It says that they glorified God. He chose to focus on what God was doing in his life and through his life. See, his life had become a, a continual thanksgiving to God, even though he'd gone through all of this. Right, when we talk about like, what does all of this encapsulate? It doesn't, that's not the first things that come out of his mouth. But it's actually all the good things that God was doing. See, what would your life or my life look like if it started with thanking God for all the things that he's done and seeing all the different ways in which he's working? And so, Paul first chooses to thank God um, in, in the midst of everything that he's been through. Second is sacrifices to unite others. Look at verses 20 through 24. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands uh, there are among the, the Jews of those who have believed? They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, walk in accordance to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify uh, yourself along with them and pay their expenses uh, so that they sh may shave their heads. Thus, um, all will know that there is nothing in what, you have, uh, been, what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. So as Paul enters into Jerusalem, people had been starting rumors about him. They'd started uh, gossiping about him. And, and basically what they were saying about Paul is that Paul uh, was teaching people that anything that Moses had said was wrong and that they shouldn't follow any of those things. And so they, they'd started this rumor about him. And it's, it's, it started to take over the city. And so for Paul to be in Jerusalem, when people already think a certain way about him, He's already making the sacrifice of saying, okay, I'm going to put my safety on the line here. 
And so as he's talking with James, and James is a friend who cares about him, uh, what is James saying, okay, this is what's going to communicate to the people that you're not what they think that you are. He says, it's going to be you making a sacrifice. Making a sacrifice. See, what was he asking Paul to sacrifice? Well, first we find that Paul's reputation had already been questioned. His reputation, verse 21, they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Now we're going to come back to this in a little bit to to really break down, like what does that mean? Why is that important of, of what's happening here? But Paul's reputation is not good. But what we've seen is that Paul has done everything that God has asked him to do, right? He's followed and done what God has asked him to do, yet his reputation is not great in the city of Jerusalem. And so what he's asking to to, to be sacrificed is really his safety. Verse 23, do therefore what we tell you. Okay, Paul, we need you to listen to us. We got a plan. We want you to follow this plan. Trust us on this. We've been here. Just follow this plan out and do what we tell you to do. Okay? So Paul does it. But they also tell him, we need you to take some of your resources and to to invest in some of these people here. He says, take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Now, This might not seem like it's relatable to us today, but it actually really is. Because what he's asking is this. He's saying, okay, for the the unity of God's church, because there's people who actually believe in Jesus. He's saying, are you going to make a sacrifice of what you would say are your rights so that others can know Jesus? Are you willing to do that? And so Paul is, is saying, okay, yes, I'm willing to do that. See, because it's through sacrifice that the world sees Jesus. Now, early on in the church, there was a a man named Father Clement, and he described what followers of Jesus looked like early on. So if we were looking at the book of Acts, these are early believers. He's talking about believers in the third century. Here's what he says. He says, Christians, uh, he impoverishes himself out of love so that he is certain he may never overlook a brother in need, especially if he knows he can bear poverty better than his brother. He likewise considers the pain of another as his own pain. And if he suffers any hardship because of having given out of his own poverty, he does not complain. So what we're seeing here is that if, as they described early Christians sacrifice was actually a normal part of being a Christian. And so what Paul is being asked here is not out of the ordinary of saying, okay, we're asking you to sacrifice. Why? Because we follow a Savior who was sacrificed for us. How did this work in history? Well, there was a devastating plague that swept across the ancient world in the third century. And Christians were the ones who cared for the sick, and they did it at the risk of contracting the plague themselves. Christians throughout history that followed Jesus have always been willing to have a posture of humility to sacrifice 
and serve for the sake of others. Now, is this the natural posture of what we naturally do? No. Is that my natural posture? No. But it's the posture that God starts to form in us as he shapes the integrity that we don't have, but he has, and starts to make us people that we would have never been before. See, I want to hold on to myself. I want to do what's best for me. But when Christ comes into our lives, he breaks that cycle. And so God has broken that cycle in Paul again and again and again and basically shaped Paul in a way where he says, it's not about you, Paul. It's about me. And God is is doing that through sacrifice. Third, what happens with Paul? Well, Paul obeys despite personal attack. Obeys despite personal attack. So uh, verses 25 through 29 and then verse 36. As for the Gentile believers, uh, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from uh, food sacrificed to, to idols, from blood, from, from the meat of strangled animals, and from um, sexual immorality. Uh, so basically they're saying this is the decision we made about people who are coming to faith that weren't Jewish. Like this is, this is what we asked them to follow and this is exactly what Paul taught them. Now Paul goes to his people. The next day, Paul uh, took the men and purified himself along with them. Verse 26. Then uh, he went to the temple and gave uh, to give notice to the, the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made uh, for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him. Okay, so then look at verse 29. So the whole, there's drama that starts to come about here because it says this, that that, um, in verse 29, they had previously seen uh, Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So they assumed something about Paul that wasn't true and everything starts to, to get worse And the crowd started to shout in verse 36, get rid of him. Get rid of him. Ultimately, at the the heart of what's happening here, what was the conflict that was happening in the city? Well, it was the message. It was the message that Paul had carried. And here's what we need to understand, that there was a difference between Law and customs. Paul spoke to people and preached to people about the law and says, don't put your hope or your faith in the law. Don't put your faith in following the rules. This would be like, okay, for somebody today saying, okay, what does it look like to have a relationship with God? It's actually not putting your hope in being a good person. It's not putting your hope in just following moral rules and saying, you know what, I'm good enough. Put your hope in Jesus because he's the only good one. And so Paul was saying, don't put your hope in the law. He wasn't saying don't do your customs anymore. Don't, don't, don't go and do the, the, the customs of your people Don't throw away your heritage. He wasn't saying that. 
He was saying, don't put your hope in the law like it can save you. Because the only one that can save is Jesus. And so that's what Paul's message was. See, Paul was preaching this all over. And, and, and what happened was people started to, to mis, uh, misuse his message or, or to twist his message. See, Paul had this gospel integrity that despite personal attacks, social pressures, the message of the gospel never changed. The message of Jesus never changed. The hope that Jesus brought never changed. He continued to go from city to city saying, hey, do you want to know what it is to be saved? Do you want to know what it is to be a Christian? Look to Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Don't, don't just put your hope in being a good person because actually what happens is this. When you put your hope in the only good person, he actually starts to make you a good person. He makes you something you could have never been on your own. And so what Paul was doing was he was obeying despite personal attack, but it's despite what people thought about him. See, we are saved by grace, not by works. We are saved by Jesus' perfect life, not by my good life. This wasn't about whether or not Paul had a grip on the message. It was the message that gripped Paul. It, had a, it gripped him. The message of Jesus gripped him. It wasn't just something he did for popularity. It actually made him less popular. <laughs> See, what did it get him? It got him, get rid of him. It got him away with him. Get him out of here. And so this is a heavy passage. This is, a, this is an introduction, actually, to the sufferings of, of what Paul is going to endure till the end of Acts here. But how can we, as we think about some takeaways for today and, and really apply this to our life, how can we learn to live with a gospel integrity? Well, three questions we can ask ourselves. The first one is, and this is something I've been asking myself, how can I specifically thank God no matter the circumstances? How can I specifically thank God no matter the circumstances? This is not natural. This actually takes a lot of practice. And you know where the practice happens? It happens in prayer. It happens in prayer. The way that Jesus uh, laid out the, the um, like how to pray, the Lord's Prayer, is actually laid out in a way that it, it, it starts on God, not on me. Does that make sense? So like, what, what do we naturally do when we, we go to prayer? God, I got this big problem going on. There's all these things happening, and, and so I just need you to fix all my problems. Amen. Right? We start with me. What's going on in, in my life? What are all the things that you can come fix for me, God? The way that we treat God in many ways is like a, a genie in a bottle that, that we just come to to fix our problems. But what we find is that in the Lord's Prayer and what we see in the life of Paul here is that he doesn't start with fix my problems. It starts with adoring God and who God is. It starts with looking at the character of God and saying, God, you are holy. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Right? It's, it's a reverence for God. It's coming to God. And so the practice is I've been, I've been starting with as I've been praying. It's just simply, Lord, you are holy. You are good. You are righteous. Like you have a bigger plan than what I can see right now. And so, Lord, help me to see the way that you see because I'm not quite seeing the big picture here. Right? When we start to come to God and, and actually say, God, you're actually smarter than I am. What's our problem? And many times, my temptations think that I'm smarter than God. God, come on. I don't see how this is working out here. I don't see what's going on here. And so, obviously, there's not a, pro- uh, there's not a plan here. There's problems, but there's not a plan. But if I actually start to remember that, oh, wait, God is smarter than me. He knows more than me. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Lord, um, this is who you are. Naturally, in our minds, we kind of lower God as if he were like us. But God is seated on the throne. And so my encouragement as we think about this is is first, like, how can I specifically thank God no matter the circumstances? Is first remembering who he is. Remembering what he can do. One of the encouragements that that I had as I was talking with my my wife was just... uh, we have this scripture uh, on the wall. And it just basically says that, you know, be strong and courageous. Joshua, like, I'll be with you wherever you go. And one of the things she told me, she's like, you know, she's like our, our daughter Ava, who's, who's eight, she, she's like, she told me that she memorized that verse. She memorized it. And, and she thinks about it. And I was like, man, that, that, that could really help in being more thankful uh, just going throughout life, right? If I start to look up and see, hold on, I can be strong and courageous because God is with me where, wherever I go? Wherever I go? Really? I'm not there alone? God's with me? Right? So you're starting to think anew as you start to thank God and, and it starts to transform our heart. We start to become different on the inside. A second question we can ask is, how is God calling me to sacrifice for the sake of others? Knowing that, it's not natural for me. Right? Knowing that it's not natural for me. I like this quote from John Piper. He says, missionaries are not heroes who can boast in great sacrifice for God they have discovered a hundred times more joy and satisfaction in a life devoted to Christ and the gospel than in a life devoted to frivolous comforts and pleasures and worldly advancements. And they have taken to heart the rebuke of Jesus. Beware of self-pitying spirit of sacrifice. Missions is gain, hundredfold gain. As I read that this week, I was like, man, do I believe that? Do I, do I believe that? Because that, to me, is upside down from what I'm told. That's a different mindset. But what we see in the life of Paul is that actually he believed that. He believed that to be true. And, and he was experiencing joy and celebrating God, even though he, he, he's been through so much. Man, it's so easy for me to just focus on the difficulties I've been through. And to be self-pitying about it. You know, one of the worst things, it's self-pity, man. I have been there. 
I've been in that boat before, just feeling so bad for myself that I've gone through all this stuff. You know, and it's like, why, why me? And, and, and basically what, what, what I realized was it was a, is a different form of pride. It was a different form of pride. It wasn't that I was sacrificing so much or I'd been through so much in the sense of like, yeah, there, there, was, there were certain things and I wasn't going to like deny that that, that happened, but it, it made me feel like basically God wasn't with me. And I'm, I'm doing all these things for God. And, and that's not the type of spirit that we're seeing here in Paul. It was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a joy as you serve God. It's not a have to, it's a get to. Different spirit, right? Different attitude that started to shape in him. But, but how is God calling me to sacrifice for the sake of others is asking God, how can I start to think outside of myself? We live in a generation that's just depressed. It's just depressed. And, and do you know what the spiral of depression is many times? Apart from mental health, and there's, there's, there's medications and things like that but, that are needed, but, but what, what counselors would say is, is that it's a preoccupation with self that just gets us so spiraled down. And so to free myself from self, Lord, what a joy. <laughs> what a joy. Because you know what? Many times, naturally, we think about ourselves all the time. And so to be free from that, Right, and, and to know that, that God could work through me to help others. Last question. How can I obey God beyond popular opinion? How can I obey God beyond popular opinion? Many times what, what happens is we get caught in convenience. Convenience, like th- th- this is convenient for me to obey at this level, but like what, is it like, what does it mean for me to truly obey God? For my life to be in obedience to God. Augustine once said, give me the grace, O Lord, to do as you command and command me to do what you will. O holy God, when your commandments are obeyed, it is from you that we receive the power to obey them. It's from you. Right? Like, what does that type of obedience look like? It's not this, like, I'm going to go obey God on my own strength and I'm going to do all these things for God. No, it's God. I can't do it. I need your strength to flow through me to obey you to do what I could have never done on my own. Because what was the life of Paul? It was a life that was really, in many ways, unexplainable apart from God. And what kind of life do you want to live? Okay. Uh, What kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to live a life that just makes sense to yourself and to maybe those around you? Or do you want to live a life that says, man, that's unexplainable other than what God could do? Man, I want to live that life that's unexplainable, that's like, yeah, that, that only happened because of God. And friends, I can tell you story after story of how that's happened in my life, my family's life, but also people that are right around you too. Man, what does it look like? 
See, here's the gospel today. Ultimately, how did Paul have the integrity, right, this wholeness, undivided heart to obey God when chaos ensued around him? It was because his integrity was a gospel integrity. Here's what that means. It wasn't built upon what Paul could do. Paul didn't raise his hand and say, look at all the things that I can do for you, God. Look at all the things that I can accomplish. No, it was built upon what Jesus had done. What Jesus had done. See, look at verse 36. Paul's own people. Paul's own people. Right, his people. They look at him and they say, get rid of him. Doesn't that make you think about another one whose people said, get rid of him? Doesn't that make you think about Luke 23, 21 through 25, when Jesus' own people kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. What does that mean? He has integrity. Therefore, I will have him punished, therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder and one they asked for and surrendered, surrendered Jesus to their will. Friends, it's not until we see ourselves in the shoes of the people that looked at Jesus and said, away with him. Away with him. And say, no, 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 no. The one that, that, that was crucify him, crucify him. The only one who had integrity and went all the way to the cross. The only perfect person who ever walked this earth. And when I see what he's done for me, what he did for me, for you, then we can start to see, oh, it's not that I'm gonna have to stand alone but that he's with me and that he gives me strength to stand when I can't stand. And he'll give me the integrity to say no when I need to say no and yes when I need to say yes and to be a person I could have never been on my own strength. I need Jesus. I need what he's done. So will you hold on to the one who was shouted at, crucify him, crucify him. That's my encouragement today. That's the gospel. Put your hope in him. Hold tightly to him. And when you see that you're holding tightly to him, you'll see that his grip on you is way tighter than you, you ever thought. And he'll take you to places you never could have been on your own. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for being with us in the midst of our challenges, our difficulties, Lord. And in many ways, all of us can say, man, I've been prideful. I, I don't have that integrity. I want to be a person of integrity. I want to grow in this. If our life was under the microscope, we, we, no one could stand. But Jesus, when your life was under the microscope, you were the only one that did. 
What has this man done? Nothing. Yet he was crucified. You were put in our place, Lord. We were the murderers that were set free and you were the one who paid for us. And so help us to see that, Jesus, you're enough. And in the midst of that, we'll be able to face some of the sufferings that we go through in life in a new way, in a different way than maybe we did before. Help us to be grateful and thankful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.